Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. It's time for the Gun Guy TV Podcast. Hi, this is Joel Persinger. I'm the Gun Guy. Thank you very much for listening to my podcast and supporting Gun Guy TV. I'm very grateful that you do all of that. While we were at SHOT Show, we did a number of interviews with folks while sitting in the press room. Among those interviews was a very key and informative interview in which we discussed what's going on currently with cases at the Supreme Court, as well as how those cases might affect my home state of California. I was very fortunate to have Rick Travis from the California Rifle and Pistol Association, Sam Paredes from Gun Owners of California, and Chuck Michelle, an attorney for both the NRA and CRPA, and the volunteer president of the California Rifle and Pistol Association, as my guests. Now, as I've done in the previous interview we did from SHOT Show, I'm not going to divide this in half as I normally do with my podcast. So the entire thing is going to be publicly available, syndicated on your favorite podcast player. We'll also post copies of it on YouTube and the other video destinations. Next time around, we'll get back to the 50-50 split of the podcast. But in this one, I want to make sure, since the information is extremely important, that it's available to everyone, not just my Patreon subscribers. Additionally, I'm not going to place any ads or calls to action in the podcast because it interrupts the discussion, so I won't be doing that there. What I will do is say to you here, if you'd like to support Gun Guy TV and support this podcast, you can do so a couple of different ways, one of which is to shop Amazon using our Amazon link. That helps us a ton. It helps us fund this effort to keep you informed. You can find that link at our website at gunguy.tv. Here's the interview. So we have uh, uh, the cadre, the, the three amigos here who generally you don't see at the same time in the same place, which is kind of amazing. We've got Rick Scary. Travis from CRPA. We've got Chuck Michelle, who's the president of CRPA and an outstanding attorney by all reports. I never had to hire him for anything. I'm grateful, but <laughs> but from what I understand... I have, and I re resemble that remark. Uh, he agreed. And there you are. 100%. <laughs> and, and the incomparable and amazing Sam Paredes, my friend, is here as well. So I'm really grateful. So now I have a feeling that I don't have to say a whole heck of a lot. I just have to ask you guys, what's happening in California? Well, you start. All right, I'll start. <laughs> um, just when you thought the storm was over and that they couldn't do anything to control firearms in, 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 uh, and trample on the Constitution and the Second Amendment, the legislature is going to be doing more stuff. Yes, we got expanded gun violence restraining orders, red flag laws for those of you outside of the state. We've got uh, gun rationing where we, we're not allowed to buy any more than one gun per month. We've got uh, adults who have served in our military and used all manner of spectacular weapons and firearms who come back to the state of California and might be married and have kids, but they're not quite 21 years of age. They don't have any Second Amendment rights in the state of California. They cannot purchase a firearm. We've got... Um, ammunition. Ammunition. Uh, we, we have... We have. Get this, Joe. You and I have talked about this. 365,574 uh, uh, applications, background checks for the purchase of ammunition in a couple of months. Out of that... Over 60,000 law-abiding Californians who have no criminal record have been denied their ability uh, to exercise their Second Amendment right and buy ammunition. And out of that 345,574, 101 
people have been identified that were ineligible to buy ammunition. So that's kind of like, you know, shooting a fly with a nuclear bomb. And it's not like that 101 was a felons even. There's 30 different ways that you can lose your right to possess firearms. And most of the time, a lot of those people don't even realize they've fallen into that category. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um... We, now, we, isn't, it, isn't, it, isn't that? Oh, I'm sorry. Go you're, ahead. You're doing the rundown. I know. I don't want to interrupt the rundown. No, no, well, the rundown is uh, we've been run over. Yeah, and we're you getting know. run over even more. <laughs> is that case? Is there a case sitting with Judge Benitez right now on that whole dun, ammo dun, dun. thing? And here comes Chuck. Okay, yeah. go. Yes, there is. Uh, where you know, Judge Benitez gave us that great ruling in the uh, large plus ten plus round magazine case uh, that that gave us Freedom Week, where we brought a million magazines that could hold over 10 rounds into the state of California after a 20-year drought. So obviously there was a little pent-up demand. Just a little. Uh, and when we filed the Rody case, Kim Rody, who we all know and love, Olympic uh, 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 gold medalist, she's a great gal. We she's were just awesome. visiting her downstairs. Uh, she's awesome. She's our lead plaintiff. And, uh, uh, you know, sh- she and and 68,000 other uh, Calif- law-abiding California gun owners are having a hell of a time trying to buy ammunition. And so we filed a lawsuit shortly after that law uh, took effect uh, with her as the lead plaintiff, and it's with Judge Benitez. We moved for a preliminary injunction, and he's considering it. He's had it under submission. He's had a couple other high-profile cases, which may have been taking up some of his time, but we're expecting a ruling any day now there and I you know all the digits are crossed that he's going to do it again for us because this is such a ridiculous infringement on the on the right to keep and bear arms you can't you know if, the, the reality is that this is part of Gavin Newsom's war on the gun culture he wants to murder the gun, gun culture make it as expensive as it, it can be make it as difficult as it can be shut down ranges, shut down gun shows, shut down gun stores, any place where you can buy a gun or shoot a gun or learn about a gun. He doesn't want that place to exist because he wants to basically starve out uh, anybody who might consider uh, owning a gun because he doesn't want them to realize how much fun shooting can be or how much value a firearm has as a self-defense tool to defend yourself or your family. As soon as people forget that and they're taken out of of the world where people talk about that, they lose interest, and that's exactly what Gavin Newsom's plan is. So we're very, very hopeful that we'll, with that lawsuit and dozens of others that, that CRPA and NRA and GOC have going on in California right now against all manner of things, with many more to come, we just need to keep fundraising, frankly, to, uh, to pay the lawyers. And we, we, you know, we give very reduced nonprofit charity rates to CRPA and NRA and GOC. But still, I can't do it. My wife won't let me do it for nothing. We do d- give reduced rates to all those, but I could use some, some paying business. So if, you're having, if you have a legal problem, give us a call. You know? we, uh, we do uh, uh, land use, uh, environmental, uh, uh, labor law, and f- employment law, and we have lots of corporate clients that, that we help, and those are for-profit clients. So, well, uh, being, the, help being the owner of a successful business, work. if I need an attorney, I will call you. There you go. I do hope that I don't need one for a while. The last time I needed one was a few years ago, and we were very successful. But I, I really would rather not repeat I, I should experience. have been a dentist because at least people realize, first of all, they have to go there a couple times a year, and they realize, okay, it's a necessary evil. I don't mind paying my $100. <laughs> right, yeah. And then the dentist has a 1,000 cl- uh, uh, clients, right? Because everybody's got teeth, babe. And they don't mind coming back. And, <laughs> right. But I have you know 100 clients, and they hate me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> because it's you know okay. they never want to see. Once I'm done with helping them out, they never want to see a lawyer see again for the rest right. of their lives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's not such as you. It's 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 the whole legal it's gambit that's system. around the whole thing. Yeah. It's the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. How is Trump's federal? How are Trump's federal picks helping us? Oh, the composition of the notoriously historically very very progressive Ninth Circuit used to be. Uh, two to one Republic, uh, Democrats versus Republican appointees. So it was heavily stacked progressive. Through a number of, of, of retirements and deaths, there's been more positions opened up that Trump's been able to fill. Right now it's about six to four. So we're almost even. So that means when you first have that uh, first oral argument in front of a panel, a three-judge panel, you've got a good chance that you're going to at least have one Republican-appointed judge on that panel, and maybe two, and if you have two, you win. So it, it dramatically changes the odds and the, and the philosophy that you're facing when you, you know, argue a case to, the, to, the, to a Ninth Circuit bench now, because there's much greater chance there's going to be at least one Republican-appointee on, Republican on that bench. Unfortunately, it's not quite that simple. You can't just say that the Democrat judges are going to rule against the Second Amendment and the Republicans are going to rule for it. But at least uh, the Ninth Circuit has shown a, a tendency, an inclination to bend over backwards intellectually in order to uphold gun control laws. So we had that great Heller ruling in 2008, then the McDonald's ruling in 2010, and we've had a decade of, of courts ignoring basically the mandates of those, those two cases. So you know what David Hardy said way back in 2008 when that came down everybody says oh great this is the beginning of the end of gun control he said no this is the end of the beginning and that's exactly what it was that was the end of the beginning now we've had the middle i hope and maybe we're going to with the supreme court uh ruling in either the new york state rifle and pistol association versus new york city case or one of the other second amendment challenges cases that are queued up behind that if they decide that that case is moot and, and don't answer it directly in that case. Uh, the, the Supreme Court's going to decide what the standard of review is. In other words, how much scrutiny does a gun control law get when it's being challenged on Second Amendment grounds? And we're very, very hopeful that the, second, that the Supreme Court is going to give the Second Amendment back its teeth. And we're going to have a Second Amendment that means something and that governments can't just make stuff up and not be challenged when they, they come up with this you know, pocket fuzz to justify the laws that they're passing. They're gonna have to actually prove that something that they're proposing to do works and that it's set up so that it doesn't uh, unnecessarily li limit people's right to choose to own a gun to defend themselves or, or, or their family or for sport. You're listening to the Gun Guy TV podcast. Please pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. I hear a lot about the New York case, and I've heard folks articulate that they don't. What happens, it's a doomsday scenario in their heads, that if the court decides not to opine on that case because they feel like it's moot, that we're stuck. But obviously there are other cases stacked up behind that one. Can oh, yeah, you, the, can you the, talk about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, the, the Supreme Court, about... 90% of the cases that the Supreme Court is asked to review are simply rejected by a, a, a two-line letter that says cert denied, and that's the end of that. So all the money that you, I mean, it costs $7,000 just to print the briefs to get, 
to the Supreme Court to, to read. You have to go to a professional printer. It's, you know. But so all these people and cases try, and 90% of them are rejected. Some are, ex and then the court has conferences, internal, sitting around a table like this, deciding whether or not they're going to take a case or not. It takes four votes to take a case, five votes to win a case. But you can, they can also, rather than just granting cert uh, flat out, they can hold a case. And so they've got about a half a dozen Second Amendment cases on hold where they haven't issued a ruling whether or not they're going to grant cert and review or not. They're just in a holding pattern because, so that if this New York City case is, is not ruled on the substantive underlying Second Amendment issue, it's held to be moot and, and, and you know, basically thrown out because it's the, case, the, the statute doesn't exist anymore. Uh, then they'll go to one of those other cases that's been on hold and have to decide whether or not to take one of those. So there's about four of those. There's two uh, licensed uh, public carry cases. There's a California handgun roster case. And I don't remember the other two, but there's several, several other different kinds. Like there's a black rifle case. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so there's a, there's a, you know, a selection for the Supreme Court to choose Has from. Has it been normal for the court to have this number of Second Amendment cases on hold? No. Yeah. No, no, is, no, there, no. is there an anecdotal inference that we can draw or the, intention, an, an, an well, inference that we can draw with regard to intention? Unfortunately, the there's two, there's, it's not just that they're holding them in case they don't do the New York case. They could, they could be holding them because, and there's a number of other cases, by the way, across the country, and especially in the Ninth Circuit, that are stayed waiting for that Supreme Court ruling. So it could just be that the Supreme Court is holding them because depending on what it does, in the New York case, which everybody expects will be positive for us, but in the normal course of things, if it wasn't a Second Amendment case, but there was some case that's going to affect a bunch of other cases, they would hold those cases until they ruled on whatever the case was that's going to set the precedent. I see. Okay, so we can't necessarily we can't necessarily draw an inference with regard to the court's intention by the fact that they're holding those cases. One thing that I've learned from uh, being a friend and a, and a colleague and a client of Chuck's is that the, the mysteries of what happens in the Supreme Court are are epic. Uh, they're, 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 we don't know everything that goes on. Drawing inferences, your hopes are often dashed. But you can take a look that they've had the opportunity to, to, to reject all of these other cases, but they've opened dockets, and when they open a docket, that means they open a file for that. It's in the process, and they're waiting, waiting to check. I mean, the the the, the justices on the ninth. We've got the young case out of Hawaii on open carry and concealed carry. We've got a, a, a multitude of cases that, that uh, Michelle and Associates have brought, CRPA and, and and with the support of gun owners have brought, and they're holding on on all of those cases, which they could have dealt with a long time ago to wait to see what happens here. The importance for us, as Chuck points out, in deciding on the level of scrutiny, is monumental. It really, truly is. And the reason that we are so hopeful, first of all, California Rifle and Pistol Association, Gun Owners of California, we wrote a joint brief and submitted it to the Supreme Court that asked the court not to deal with the issue of, of uh, so much of, of the public transportation of, of firearms in, in, in the city. But we were asking the court to take a look at the fact that 
many courts throughout the country have basically flipped the middle finger to the Supreme Court and have refused to follow the directive that Justice Scalia did, said and gave in, in Heller versus Washington, D.C., where he said just judges should refrain from using judicial balancing tests in order when, when deciding Second Amendment cases. Because they're inherently biased. That's right. And he said, uh, text, history, and tradition of the meaning of the words at the founding is, is, is should be the only guide. And what does that mean? That means that what no, our founding no, fathers... Me, okay, let me make sure I understand it. We, yeah. I, I'm probably interrupting you. You're about to explain no, it's okay. it. When you're talking about text, history, and tradition, you're talking about the text, history, and tradition at the time... At the founding. It was written. That's right. correct. Not text history tradition in 2000. Well, you, can look, you can look at history since it was written, and that's what the other side's trying to do. This is Sam's opening up a really interesting and somewhat arcane and, and legal easy uh, uh, topic here. I'm a legal but, geek. But the standard of Lovely. review, you know, typically they had, if you're doing a First Amendment case, they have rational basis, which means. Anything the legislature says they're going to accept and no law is ever struck down, basically, or some kind of intermediate scrutiny or strict scrutiny where it has to be a compelling governmental interest and the law has to be narrowly tailored so that it doesn't unnecessarily impact people in accomplishing whatever that compelling govern governmental interest is. So strict scrutiny, often uh, laws are struck down on First Amendment grounds. And in fact, we had the gun show the challenge to the gun show ban, which brought a First Amendment challenge, and that court said, this is political speech, we're going to apply a strict scrutiny, the gun show ban falls. Uh, the, 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 the trend now, and this is what Kavanaugh subscribes to, and Gorsuch, and the, most of the conservative judges on the current court, is this text, history, and tradition is called originalist approach, what, what, what is this law supposed to do in the first place? Uh, and so our position is, you know, there are very few uh, gun control laws that have ever really existed throughout history, and so it's going to be very difficult to justify most, government, uh, most uh, gun control laws when you apply the text, history, and tradition test. But interestingly enough, Michael Bloomberg sees this coming, and he has already gone out and started uh, a funding scholarship uh, you can look at the Duke Law Set, Duke Firearms Law Center. They're already cranking out all this stuff. They have the whole history of all the laws that have existed throughout uh, our, our, our you know, since it, since uh, the Second Amendment was passed, and all these articles about what text, history, and tradition means, and how you how it's going to cause all kinds of problems. I mean, they're already trying to influence. They're already gearing up to fight back mm -hmm. when. And if the the text, history, and tradition test is becomes the becomes the standard of review for Second Amendment challenges, so this is this is you know lawyers. Uh, this is like you know one of the most significant civil rights cases that has ever come down the pike. You know, uh, uh, Brown versus Board of Education's got nothing on this this, this this jurisdictional development here and the arguments that's going on about uh, what the standard of review should be and wh when the go government can and cannot restrict your right to keep and bear arms. Well, I think it's, it, yeah, you're right. I mean, we're in the weeds. But at the same time, while we're in the weeds, you know, Rick and I have talked about this many times, so Sam and I have as well, that if the average gun owner, that's me, uh, I went to college and I got great grades, but I didn't graduate. So I'm, I'm one of those average gun owners, right? The average gun owner doesn't necessarily have the time, desire, maybe the desire, but not the time, to really get into the weeds and understand this stuff. 
And as a result, it's very easy to be this guy who thinks, well, you know, it's not a big deal to fight a court case. It's not a big deal to, to fund a court case. Why is it so difficult to figure that? And, you're, you know, you're laughing, but I, I think this is a realistic problem well, well, that we have. Is it, you're it, absolutely right. Remember, the issues in Heller were, is it a collective right of a militia or is it an individual right? So that's one big battle of the scholars, you know, battle of the big brains to try and decide what's right. Then the second well, it sounds like a relatively uh, elementary question, but it's not. <laughs> no, which is why uh, Scalia's opinion is, uh, you know, 100 pages long with you know, two-thirds of it is all about history. It's not even a legal analysis. It's a historical analysis. Uh, and then we had the incorporation question. Is the Second Amendment incorporated into the Bill of Rights through the 14th Amendment. This was McDonald. Right. Yeah. Uh, those of us who took a his civics class may remember this uh, uh, little exercise about how the Bill of Rights did not apply to the states initially. And then the 14th Amendment came along uh, uh, and incorporated most of those rights, but not every single one of the 10 Bill of Rights. So it was selective incorporation, it was called. And so then you had to have a test on whether or not the Second Amendment was also incorporated against the state and local governments, which McDonald said it was. Everybody knew after that decision came down, the next question is going to be, what's the standard of review? Even though it was addressed in part in Heller, and some of the watered-down tests were expressly shut down in Heller. Which, by the way, they're still using all over the place. They still use them everywhere. <laughs> right. Shut down That's my what eye. They, they change right. a few words around, call right. it something yeah, call different. Call it something else. Right. What's it? it's all exactly what it? Yeah, it rose by any other name, right? Shooting straight and always right on target. This is the Gun Guy TV Podcast. So what we're really hoping for, to get to the, the, the bottom line here in the Supreme Court, either the New York City case comes down and says, everybody's been applying the wrong standard of review. Here's the right standard of review. And then they're going to take all those cases that are lined up behind it, and they're going to do what's called a GVR, grant, vacate, and remand. So they're going to grant certiorari. They're going to vacate the lower court decision. They're going to remand it back to the lower court again and say, redecide this case now in light of what we just said. So if they don't do the net, that to New York, then it just means another one flips into that case and all the rest still stay on hold. And then whatever the new case is, is decided. And then you got the GVR on the rest. Is this why judges like Judge Benitez and so on are, seem to be dragged? I don't know if they're dragging their feet, but it seems like it's taking them longer to come up with a decision on certain cases. Are they holding these in kind of in abeyance, waiting for that decision from the Supreme Court? I, I, I don't think that. Uh, well, the, the, the Ninth Circuit has, has stayed some cases. Like they, they stayed uh, uh, a couple of CCW uh, mm-hmm. public carry challenges that we have. Uh, and they, uh, that, uh, so they're, they're waiting. So a court can decide I'm going to wait, but typically it's an appellate court, not a trial court. I see. Okay. In, the, in this case, though, any time a judge is getting to, ready to do some kind of a decision that's going to be heavily publicized and, 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 and then scrutinized, they know it's going to be appealed. So Judge Benitez knows what, no matter what he does in the ammo case, it will be appealed. And so he's probably, I mean, it's probably, the odds are that what he's doing is just doing a thorough job. He's, he's trying to make his decision bulletproof. Much like he did with the, with the uh, magazine deal, That's because that thing's amazing. That, <laughs> Not being a lawyer, but still having savvy, and I'm a business guy, so I've, got, I've hired a lot of lawyers in my life, run a lot of legal stuff. So I, it's my sixth business I own, just to give you an idea. So I'm sitting there reading his decision, I'm just marveling it's at the depth. It is it's a work a, of yeah. art. It's a, the depth that he it went to. It should be taught in, in classrooms as, as civic 
government. This is it looked like the, something that should have come out of the Supreme Court. I mean, it was it was really amazing. This is what some of the lawyers that you know uh, are are very anxious. They're true believers. They're anxious to try and move the ball downfield and get some more Second Amendment rulings. Not to mention some of these lawyers just hope to get a shot at you know for a lawyer. Uh, like a ma- like a baseball player, you know, when you get into the majors, you're going to the show. They, if you get to the Supreme Court, you're going to the show. You shouldn't go to the show. Lawyers should not. There's there's lawyers who have done 50 or 100 Supreme Court cases. A Supreme Court argument can turn on a dime, and if you don't have the entire vast knowledge, that's why we use Paul Clement. He knows every he's, he does Supreme Court litigation all the time. Knows constitutional law backwards and forwards. When they take a Second Amendment case and start arguing about some Fourth Amendment precedent and seeing what it means, not many lawyers have all those cases in their heads. And most lawyers, frankly, uh, are not great writers. I mean, you don't have to be a great writer to be a lawyer in in most cases, but to be a good uh, uh, advocate for a, a civil right that's emerging, like the Second Amendment, you have to be able to write and write persuasively, and it's it's a it's a very rare skill, frankly. That's why the lawyers that get right out of law school right now are getting in Los Angeles County. They get the, the lawyers are picked. They have they want the lawyers that had the, they, they want the law students that had a law review background. They wrote as part of their legal education and got graded and got A's, those guys now step out of a law school into a downtown law firm that's looking for their writing skills and they're paid $195,000 a year, first year out of law school. That's how rare that skill is. I'm, you know, you guys are encouraging the tar out of me here. I mean, I don't know whether this is going to go well or poorly, but it sounds like it's it's heading in the right direction. Well, we got the light. We got the right lawyers. Not. I'm not even talking about me. I mean, we have a team. We have a lot of great lawyers, great writers, great scholars. You know, all over the country uh, that are working together on these strategically selected cases. And, you know, so we've maximized the chances. There's no such thing as a, as a gimme, but we've maximized the chances that we're going to win. Now, you've just brought up something that becomes a bugaboo for a lot of people because, again, a lot of folks don't know the inside baseball aspect of it. The whole idea of, cheap, of selecting cases strategically. Can you touch upon that? Well, yeah, there's courts are, are, are influenced, hopefully not too much, but the reality is you have to take it into consideration. They're influenced by uh, bad press and by human emotions and by uh, uh, emotional appeals. Uh, so the first test case that you want to bring to, to that's why in, in, uh, in uh, the Heller case, it was this law that went so far in your house, you couldn't have a loaded gun ready to defend your family in your house. So there's no controversy about carrying guns in public or any of the other controversial aspects, they picked a very narrow issue. And then in the McDonald case, it was a similar law in Chicago that was used to test the incorporation doctrine. Well, since then, we tried to do, like our first case that we did after McDonald came down was a challenge to San Francisco's lock storage mandate. And the Ninth Circuit, as we all have recounted, you know, bent over backwards and distinguished it. And unfortunately, the Supreme Court didn't take that case, even though a couple judges, Thomas and I can't remember who the other one. Thomas was, wanted that case. He wanted to take he that, case. that case. Yeah. yeah, and he's wanted to take he's wanted to take a, a number of, of cases yeah. since then. Uh, but they've done something I, I've seen very rarely in the court, and that is opined in a written 
uh, dissent, a written dissent. Yeah, those are very rare. And we got one of those on Peruta, too. Yeah, that, that, that tells you the Supreme Court is looking. They're paying attention. But we, do, we don't think they had the five votes. They didn't have Kennedy. Because Kennedy sees all the, 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 the coverage of people getting hurt or killed by crazy people misusing firearms. That's the kind of thing, and especially when they try and condemn, you know, uh, black rifles, semi-autos, that's a tougher case to take than a case where, you know, somebody wants to be able to carry a gun, a handgun in public so that they can defend themselves. So you got to try and, first of all, strategically that way, but there's more just on the topic, but then there's so much more to it. There's the judge, the, the, the judges, the, what district you're in. I wish we had some really bad gun laws in Texas. Yes, absolutely. I'm right there with you, but we don't. <laughs> How much harm does it do if we're not strategic about the cases that we take? Well, it can make terrible precedent. And, and this is what really scares me the most, to tell you the truth. The, when the Supreme Court does set the record straight and set the standard of proof where it ought to be, there, I'm afraid there's going to be a rush, like there was right after Heller, where lawyers who can't write that persuasively, who don't have the resources, it's not just skill, it's, you have to have like access to all kinds of resources, not the least of which is money. You have to have human resources and experts. But the folks that don't have that are going to think, as the lawyers did right after Heller, that they can file a complaint and staple the Heller decision to the complaint and mail it into the court and they win. It's it's never going to, that's never going to happen. It hasn't happened in any other, you know, the evolution of First Amendment jurisprudence. No no other uh, area of law has, has, you know, changed instantly overnight, you know, 180 degrees. It may change 90 or or a little more degrees but you still have to fight for the rest of that and so my fear is there that we're on we're, i think we're on the verge of this second amendment renaissance where Amen. the second amendment will mean something but then yeah, but we don't want to screw it up we could screw it up because if you don't do it right you get bad precedent you give a hostile judge an excuse and a and a and a, and a hook to try and uh hang a bad opinion on and that becomes precedent The opinions expressed by the gun guy are always right, unless they're wrong. Rick, you are the quiet. I've known you for years. I've never seen you that quiet in my life. No, he's really, he's right. And this is what we've talked about before. It's the coordination that we have to have. And that's why there's so many groups like GOC, the NRA, CRPA that work together on this because we care we're not focused just on our group. We care about the Second Amendment, the Constitution, people's freedoms. We're not focused, like in California, just on three nine and a half million people. Sam and I talk about this. We're focused on every American, both here in the United States and are serving us abroad. We're fighting for their rights. And that's why we're very meticulous, very careful. It's why we don't have knee-jerk mob reactions. A lot of times when you've called me and told me, like you do with Sam, hey, all these people are pounding me these questions. We're like, not yet because we're looking at that moment to figure out what the best pathway is. And we're not going to have that knee-jerk reaction. There's plenty of people in our community that do, but it's like Chuck says, sometimes you know, the best well-meaning attitude done that way can hurt all of us deeply and for a long period of time. I want to change the subject briefly because I want to, I want to lift you guys up a little bit. I think, it, I think it doesn't happen often enough. You guys are all sharp well-educated men, and you certainly could be making an awful lot more money if you were focused on other stuff, Uh but you're not. 
I have heard, for example, you know, comments like, well, Chuck's only the president of CRPA because he gets business from them. That's absolutely nonsense. And so I'm going to bring it up right now to call it exactly what it is. It's nonsense. And I'm going to open it up for you guys to make any comments about that if you wish. But I'm going to say right now that if, if, if you're feeling that way and you're listening to this, these men have dedicated their lives and time and effort and a lot more than most place, most people do to this fight. And uh, they certainly could be making an awful lot more money and sitting in, you know, the Bahamas drinking a, 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 a Mai Tai or whatever if they wished. I'm going to say, um, Chuck, you know, I think sometimes people think he makes all this money. He doesn't. He gives an extremely deep discount. Joel, you and I have talked on programs how much law costs. Chuck does a lot of things pro bono for the community. He takes a big hit um, being up front. There's times that we are, are behind in trying to catch up with you know, donations and fundraisers to pay his bills. And we're not the only organizations had to do that. And this man extends himself all the time way out ahead of the front to protect all of us and doesn't get near the credit he should. Joel, Joel I'm a life member of, of CRP, probably so. Me too. Um, and... I can tell you that that in this time in history, having Chuck Michelle as the president of CRPA is a God-given blessing, in my opinion, because he is the right man to focus an incredibly historical and heralded organization that has been in California for 145 years, 145 years, mind you, and in this point in history, they are leading and doing exactly what needs to be done. And with any other leadership, it, it, it just it couldn't happen because the stars and weren't aligned, and 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 they are now. Now, I get the pleasure of working with Chuck a lot, and I can tell you that gun owners uh, and CRPA. Even the NRA here in California, those of us who have to lobby the legislature and, and, and work with these state associations, among state associations, I'm sure we are the lowest paid of any executives uh, in, of any organization. I for sure am probably in, in the low, I, low 2 or 3% of any paid lobbyist in the state of Sacramento. I am an armchair lawyer. Thankfully, I have the assistance of... Of, 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 of an actual you know, one. Of an actual one who, <laughs> yeah. who knows what he's talking about. But more importantly, we are all extremely passionate, like yourself, and are willing to sacrifice a lot. Yeah, we could be doing other things uh, and enjoying it, but there's no pleasure in knowing that we could affect the restoration of the Second Amendment, not only in California, but nationwide by what we do and that is a huge responsibility senator richardson our founder and chairman passed away last week yeah i know he did i'm he sorry was, to hear that and and, and uh, he's no more pain no more sorrow no more he's he's where he needs to be but he left us with a legacy and he left us with the tools and the the the, the expertise and the knowledge on how to fight effectively and that's what we're doing so anybody who's out there criticizing CRPA or Gun Owners California, or even NRA in California, or, or, or any of the organizations, hey, I'm sorry, you have no, no, your arguments don't qualify. They, they're, they're just 
You don't know what you're talking about. Um, we're all as best we can be CCW holders, mm-hmm. um, and, unless you live in LA County. Um, I'm so sorry, Chuck. <laughs> but <laughs> it's ridiculous. We are, we are Don't all get shooters. <laughs> We're all shooters. We all train. We're hunters. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Rick has a huge passion for leading uh, uh, CRPA in the in the in the hunting arena. Vastly needed because that's an essential part. Not the reason for the Second Amendment, but an essential part of the Second Amendment. And and that's why we do this. As, as gun owners, we have this unfortunate habit of fighting with each other when we ought to be fighting for each other, in which case we'd be doing a lot better. So to your, to your uh, point, we've got to at some point stop doing that. Poor Chuck's not going to get a word in because okay, now Rick wants to come out of there. I talk too long anyway. Go ahead. Right, go ahead. But, you know, to that point, all three of us are very blessed because we have wives that are for what we're doing. Absolutely. Well, because four of us because yeah, I got the same because thing. Yeah. All of our wives do not see us have had to do a lot of things with our kids because we're out here on the front lines so that the people we represent don't have to do that. But all of our wives have been incredibly supportive, and I think a lot of times people that criticize all of us don't realize our families are also making an incredible sacrifice for us to be able to do this. Especially when you live in L.A. County and you are demonized for for representing the mm-hmm. NRA people want to call you names and they've they've actually attacked my wife yep. uh, because of, just for being married to me so uh, you know but it's I'm not looking. like you're getting paid a bundle to be a the volunteer president of the California Rifle and Pistol Association you know I decided a long time ago I, I came out of law school I got one of those big firm jobs I, I worked there for four years and realized this isn't how I want to do it you, most lawyers spend their whole life fighting over money fighting another lawyer over money for their client. It's all about money. Uh, and you can make a lot of money if you help people fight for their money. Well, I've had people fight for my money, and they charge me a lot to do it. I get it. <laughs> but so then you can choose to do something that means something to you, and the three of us have all done that. And that's so I've, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to have given so much pro bono time and been recognized over the years for the pro bono time. Now, I do do... My, I do have a law firm, and they do. I do have skilled lawyers, that, that and they there is a team gun lawyers sure. that do work for the NRA and CRPA. But the, the the billing on those is is much lower than our commercial standard commercial clients. But that said, we in, in at the, the folks at this table working for CRPA. You know, we've taken CRPA from four employees to twenty in the last four years. We're doing a lot more than we used to do. One of the things we have done, and I know Sam does, is we have a board with a finance committee and an outside auditor and an accountant that monitors those books and makes sure that nobody's playing any games. Because with some nonprofits in California and Colorado and some other places, there are guys who are into it not necessarily as much for the cause as It's not to, non-profit. Right, right. right. It's yeah. deemed a non-profit, but it's not actually well, I, a non-profit. No, I get it. Yeah. But then the problem is that even if, you, even if you had an inkling to do that, which you don't, the hyper-focus on firearms advocacy organizations, if you ever got sideways of any of that, mm-hmm. uh, they'd be on you like ugly on an ape. But, but you have to be careful who you're giving money to. And, 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 you, and the other thing is, we don't need new associations. If you think you have a good idea, come on down, join CRPA, join GOC, because the problem is creating any kind of a business, and it doesn't matter if it's profit or nonprofit, you still have to have a sp- office space and desks and chairs and a computer and a phone system and you just double the cost of running the thing. Uh, yes. So all you're doing is creating a redundant infrastructure 
that CRPA has you know, built over the last 145 years. We don't need to waste the money on that. Put it into the cause. Saving the Second Amendment, one episode at a time. This is the Gun Guy TV Podcast. You know, there is an old saying that the way to win a war is to divide and conquer. Right. So, you know, we, we divide as gun owners. I see it happen all the time. It's the craziest thing. You and I have talked about the hunters who don't care about the three-gun right. guys and and uh, and so on. But even within, it seems like, well, I don't like the way you, the particular way that you do this, Sam, and so I'm going to start an organization to compete with you. And all we're doing is we're doing the enemy's work for them. And what winds up happening is they zero in. You know, social media has made fundraising a lot less expensive than it used to be. Yeah, but so. a lot more challenging at the same time. Yeah. But if you can come up with an angle... Mm -hmm. And a lot of people use the lawsuits as an angle, even though they don't necessarily have those qualified lawyers on the other side of that. That's that's the appeal that seems to be people, especially in California, seem most responsive to. Because the reality is the litigation is probably our best hope. Absolutely. Because the legislature is so rigged in, in, in California and other states. I got to tell you, Sam, you go up in front of that legislature all the time, and you're still, a, I'm going to say reasonably, just to give, hedge my bet, you're still a reasonably sane person. And I don't know how in the world you manage that, because that's a cuckoo house, like one I've not run into in a long time. Well, one thing that I learned over uh, many years of being a son-in-law student of Senator Richardson and confrontational politics is that you understand the nature of your opposition. And... You understand that it isn't you that's the problem. It's they are the problem. And you have to figure out a way to impact them and affect them and hurt them in their elected positions. Um, for the longest time, we were very successful at that. From 1975 to 1989, there wasn't an anti-gun law that was passed in the state legislature. None. There were none. 1989, we had the assault weapons ban and kind of broke the dam loose. Um, the the Democrats rigged the the redistricting and um, and made sure that they had more of their folks uh, uh, elected. And then from then on, it's just been going falling to the left. But we understand that, and it's it's we understand that that is a battlefront that no matter what we have to fight in. So. I go in there knowing that I'm going to get my keister handed to me legislatively, but inside I am just overjoyed knowing that that um, we're going to have fun in elections, politically hurting some of these people, and the work that we have been doing, and it hasn't been recent, it has taken years of hard work and coordination amongst our organizations and uh, in filing these lawsuits and supporting them with friend of the court briefs in 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 bringing these new legal theories to the to the court um, and, and having the opportunity to present them that brings me joy because I know that in my lifetime the Second Amendment is going to be restored and I'm going to have the opportunity to go to that state legislature and tell them oh yeah you were the author of this anti-gun law we are going to in the vernacular of the legislature, we're going to tombstone this law that has now been declared unconstitutional and wiped off the books as your law. And we are going to go and, and, and let Californians know that their rights have been restored, that a small remnant of people who have supported our organizations with their money, with their volunteer time and, and activities and prayers... Um, 
has come has come to to fruition. We we have one. I know that that is a part of our future. So I don't have any problem when a Senator Nancy Skinner looks at me with disdain and 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 calls us horrible things from the from the dais of the, the state senate or or members on the assembly call us despicable and and murderers that's our fault that ha- things happen in gay bars in florida and and shootings in uh, in other places that just kind of rolls off our backs because we know what they are and we are not like them and we know we're going to win and when you know you're going to win you can go in, into a, a, a nasty storm and come out thinking, that's okay. Anything you guys want to close on? Any last things you want to talk about? The, uh, uh, the, the folks that were opposing the gun show at the Del Mar Fairgrounds actually got up there and said they don't want to allow gun shows because young men and women, book girls, go to gun shows and are exposed to, get, you name it, you guessed it, toxic, toxic masculinity. masculinity. Okay. okay. So I just, in closing, I just say, I can't wait for the day when the gun law book that I write, which is now 600 pages long, is about 10 pages long. I'm waiting for five myself. (laughs) But I'd also point out that if that happens, because the Supreme Court goes our way, folks need to remember, we've got GOC, CRPA, I'm CRPA, I'm also NRA. NRA getting Donald Trump elected president was uh, huge. It's why we have a Supreme Court that's poised Mm -hmm. to give us a favorable ruling on the Second Amendment, because Hillary Clinton thought that the Heller case was about keeping kids out, uh, guns out of kids' hands. That's how she characterized it. So, well, it's also why we have the 170-some-odd now conservative uh, federal judges we didn't have before. That's right. right. And, and growing. And, and growing because uh, Mitch McConnell, whom I've disagreed with on a number of things, has been brilliant about shoving those through at a rapid pace. Anything else you wanted to add, Sam? I, I can't tell you, uh, and, I, and I get goosebumps. Uh, what an honor and a pleasure. You know, we have uh, folks who go off and fight wars in, in foreign and exotic places to protect uh, America, to protect the Constitution, to protect our freedoms and liberties. And and we are fighting a war here. Mm-hmm. And I, I consider Chuck and Rick, um, you know, we are fighting not with each other or for each other, but alongside each other. There you go. Mm-hmm. And we uh, are making a difference. And, and I want to encourage and invite everybody who's out there to be a part of it. Give us the resources we need to push across the, 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 the goal line. And, and then once we've done that, we're going shooting. Right. Yeah. yeah. We're going shooting. And, and no, we're going hunting, and I'm going with you. There you are. You, I, <laughs> I want to have, you know, have something I can eat afterwards and, uh, and we're shooting at. Joe, let me finish with this. Yeah. It is an honor. And a pleasure to be working alongside these guys. And we coordinate, and we will coordinate all the way to the end. But you don't know how, how much joy and pleasure and honor I get from, from working with you because you have a voice. That's part of confrontational politics. We all have a role that we are good at and we're experts at. And when we try to get outside of that role, we usually fail or distract on, on, on what we are capable and able to do. You have a voice that's golden. You have a listenership that's willing to listen, and you have the passion and the desire to give them the truth. You are an essential part of the team of what we do, and without you, we would be diminished. 
So well, I, thank you, Rich. Nice you're an influencer. That's yeah. what they call that in social media parlance these days. Oh, is that what they call it? Yeah. And we appreciate you. Oh, yeah. well, you know. Getting the word out is half the battle. If people know what's going on, they can take part in helping us stuff. So, Rick, it's, uh, you, you got the last word, brother. No, it's, again, I'll echo what Sam said. It's always a pleasure to come on the show with you because you really make it feel that we're one team. And I want to compliment you on that. Thank you very much. Well, as far as I'm concerned, we are. So thank you guys very much for coming. I really do appreciate it. Have a wonderful show. Thank you, Chuck. We, was, get, we get pizza now? Yeah, if you stick around, you do. Yeah, yeah. Cal brought it. Absolutely. Stick around and have some pizza. Okay. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Thank you. Once again, thank you very much for all of your support and for listening to Gun Guy TV's Firearms Podcast. I'm very grateful that you do what you do. Have a wonderful week. And wherever you go, whatever you do, please be safe. You've been listening to the Gun Guy TV podcast. 